You know, one of the great reasons for travel is to go and eat and taste wine. There's amazing varieties of wine around the world, from California and the United States to, well, just about anywhere. Tasmania, I would imagine, has some great wine. Well, we're going to be talking today with one of the world's great experts on wine, a wine educator. And you are traveling with Paul Leslie and Elizabeth Harriman right here on the American Forces Radio Network and at ontravel.com. Well, we're very pleased to welcome Paul Wagner to the microphone. Paul is a wine educator extraordinaire, but he also has one of the great wine blogs of all time called ThroughTheBungHole.com. Now, bear in mind, all barrels have bungholes, so let's not go any further than that. Paul, (laughs) welcome to Traveling. Thanks, Paul. (laughs) <laughs> At least I think all barrels have bungholes. So. It is true. <laughs> yep. well, and of course, a winemaker, if he really wants to know what's going on in that barrel, there's only one way to find out. <laughs> Stick a wonderful pipette down there. That's right. Withdraw his sample and have a barrel tasting. <laughs> yep. Well, I have to tell you, I've been looking forward to talking with you after reading your blog and the fact that you are a wine educator. And I think that people need to know more about that profession, if nothing else. People who actually know about wine and teach wine appreciation and wine knowledge. How did you get into this, Paul? Well, I actually started working for wineries. And one of the biggest challenges wineries have is that they're selling a product that their customers often don't really understand. A lot of people don't really understand how to read a wine label, what the words mean. And so as part of my work for the wineries, I found myself explaining an awful lot of stuff to an awful lot of people and eventually started teaching classes both at the Culinary Institute of America and I still teach at Napa Valley College here, which has a huge wine program. Been on the board of the Society of Wine Educators and I love it. I love getting up in front of a group of people and teaching them something and watching that light go on and have them say, holy cow, I get it now. And that's exciting. Well, there is so much misinformation about wine floating around out there. And I I suppose that it stems from a certain pretentiousness that people who, some people, amateurs, let's say, auteurs who know about wine think that they know something that no one else should know, I suppose, or something. Well, I was a little worried, Paul, when I heard you introduce me as a wine expert, because one of the things that I tell people is that anyone who calls themselves a true wine expert probably doesn't know how much they don't know. (laughs) Wine is so complicated that I may know more than some people, but boy, nobody knows everything. And one of the things that I think, I mean, I work with a group of master sommeliers and masters of wine, and they have the highest possible credentials in this business, and none of them thinks he or she is the end-all and be-all when it comes to wine. You're absolutely right. It's these amateurs who use a little bit of knowledge as a social weapon to somehow think that they're better than other people. And actually what they are is they're just less pleasant than other people. (laughs) Well, I will tell you, check out throughthebunghole.com. Look at the (laughs) list of wines that you tasted in your last class. Oh, yeah. Gosh, that's a worldwide education of what wine is all about because there are great wines on there and there are way lesser known wines that are excellent. 
Yeah, absolutely right. And some of the least expensive wines you can buy are still really fun. In fact, you know, one of my favorite questions is I always ask a master sommelier when I meet him, I said, so if you were to make a recommendation, what do you think people should drink? To date, I have never asked that question where the answer wasn't, they ought to drink what they like. Yes. Don't take my word for what tastes good. You taste it. You drink it. If it tastes good to you, keep drinking it. If it doesn't taste good to you, find something else to drink. Please don't let other people tell you what it is you're supposed to be drinking. One of the interesting things that I discovered once actually from a master sommelier was that there are all these little rituals about wine. They present the cork. I love the people who smell the cork because yes. not, smelling the or cork they does count, nothing they from count you. The, I'm sorry, Paul. They count the rings, the growth rings on the cork, as if that matters. You're, you're kidding. There, nope. Well, I'd never heard of that one, but okay, so let's dispense with that a, a moment. The only thing you probably <laughs> need to look at the cork to, to find out is, is it wet? <laughs> yeah. So many of these traditions come from an age when things were different. The real reason people give you the cork was that originally, back a century ago, all the wines from the great regions of the wine world were shipped in barrel and they were bottled locally. And the Chateau, for example, only sent enough corks to bottle the right wine. Ooh. So if somebody tried to fake the label, they could fake the label and they could stick it in the bottle, but they couldn't put the right name on the cork. That was a harder thing for them to counterfeit. So the real reason people give you the cork originally was to make sure that the cork had the same name as the chateau and that somebody hadn't just soaked the label off and stuck it on something else. It doesn't happen much anymore, certainly not at wines you're buying at a restaurant for $20, $30, $50 a bottle. So it's a completely useless ritual. It's just still part of our ritual. And then the only thing is you don't actually have to taste the wine. All you have to do is smell it. I discovered yeah. that I've had in a long career of having some great wines at a three-star restaurant in Europe, I had one bottle of corked wine. And I yep. will tell you that I could smell it from three feet away. <laughs> oh, yeah. In fact, I was at a party the other night, and I was sure that the person in front of me actually was wearing a jacket that had that problem until oh, I smelled her glass and realized that I could smell her glass from about four feet away. Oh. There is one reason you should taste the wine, Paul. Oh, all right. And you're absolutely right. We taste four or five things. We taste sweet, salty, bitter. We taste this umami, sour. But really, our sense of taste is pretty limited. Our sense of smell is spectacular. We can smell thousands of things. So you really are just smelling the wine. The one reason you taste it is to find out if it's the right temperature. Because I didn't restaurants know that. Have See, a, I just yeah, learned something. <laughs> restaurants have a tendency, it's not so much with white wines. They serve wines, white wines a little cold. That's fine. They'll warm up in the glass. That's not an issue. But red wines, people have been told that they should serve their wines at room temperature. And of course, room temperature in today's houses is 70 degrees. When that rule was written, people lived in elegant manor homes <laughs> in England. They were made of stone. And if you got above about 58, 60 degrees, you were doing well. So red wines actually should be served a little colder than room temperature. And that's one reason to taste it is just to say, you know, this is great, but it's a little bit warm. Well, see, I learned something. One thing I do want to talk about, and we'll talk more about wine in just a minute, but I'd like to sort of digress and talk about something you did last year. You took a group 
people on a AMA Waterways wine cruise. And yes, I talked, did. We've talked about this from time to time and come across some really interesting people, but we usually talk with winemakers, but you have such a, and I use the term Catholic knowledge. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, and, and I, not the religion. We're looking, we're talking right. about another definition here the cat, uh, of wine that cruising with you on AMA Waterways must have been a great treat. You know, we had wonderful fun because it was a cruise down the Rhine River. So you're going through four countries. You start in Switzerland, go through France, go through Germany, and end up in uh, Holland in Amsterdam. And I actually asked for help so that the German Wine Institute actually gave me a group of wines that I could present. So as we, literally, as we sailed down through the castles on the Rhine, we were tasting the great Rhine wheat Rieslings on that part of the tour. I did another tasting that was pure Napa Valley. That's where I live, so I brought some of the wines of my best friends and served them on the cruise. I also did a tasting called Wine Regions You Should Know More About, sort of undiscovered little parts of Europe that people might not necessarily know about. And here we are in the middle of Europe. Why not pull out some of these wines? So we tasted everything from California to Germany to Spain to Italy, all sorts of different things. Had a fabulous time. That's wonderful. Now, we were chatting before the show, and you said that you're trying to figure out which cruise you want to take next year or this coming year right, with Thama right. Waterways. So I guess the best thing to do is either check out throughthebunghole.com or amawaterways.com and find out when Paul Wagner is going on an Ama Waterways cruise. That would be a rare treat and an incredible education. Well, I mean, I, and I am not the only one who does these. Uh, a dear friend of mine, Peter Marks, who's a master of wine and works for Robert Mondavi Winery, did one of these last year. He's an exceptional educator. They have great people on these cruises. And the thing the thing that I love, I'm not necessarily a big cruise person. 3,000 people on a ship isn't my the idea of a perfect <laughs> vacation. Nor mine. But these are really quite small ships. There were 110 people on our cruise, and they literally dock, for example, we dock 200 yards from the cathedral in Cologne, Germany. So it's not a question of the big, complicated embarkation process you get in a normal cruise. Here you just hop off. They have a stack of bicycles waiting for you. You can just get off and pedal around if you want or just walk over to the cathedral. It was really very convenient wonderful sort of intimate way to see some of these smaller towns in Germany. It, it truly is. And I, and I think uh, you mentioned something that's a real strength of river cruising, and that is you dock right in the town. So it's not yep. like ocean cruising where you might be 50 miles from the town or something like that. You're right there. And, and there's also something about the pace of river cruising. It seems more human. Yep. <laughs> Yes, well, we're talking with Paul Wagner of ThroughTheBungHole.com, a uh, wine educator, an amazing wine blogger, and who's going to lead another AMA Waterways wine cruise. So we'll be talking about that, I'm sure, maybe in the coming year. But, Paul, I want to talk to you a little bit about California wines, because I think in many ways they're misunderstood. Some of them are, have gotten to be really expensive. When I started writing about wine in California, there were about, the Wine Institute had about 300 members. I think they have over 3,000 members. <laughs> there are 
almost 4,000 wineries in California now. And the interesting part, Paul, there are now almost 10,000 wineries in America. There are wineries in every one of the 50 states. Well, this ties into the subject of travel. And with your knowledge of it, are there some places in California and America that maybe you really should make a wine pilgrimage to? There are certainly places that make great wine, and obviously the most famous is the Napa Valley. But these days, it's amazing. I have had really good wine. I have a very good muscat made in Oklahoma. I have had Cabernet Franc from Kentucky. I have had a delicious red Bordeaux blend style wine from Virginia. We're making great wine all over the country. And to me, the fun is that as you travel, I was in Minnesota last week at the Cold Climate Viticulture Conference. If you're in Minnesota, it's cold (laughs) climate in January. And I was served a plate of what they called local specialties that were, what did they call them, smoked, brined, pickled, and salted. And they had gravlocks, and they have smoked summer sausage, and they had pickles, and they had all these things that had been made right there on the property. You could select a couple of different wines made from Minnesota grapes to drink with this. To me, that's the fun of travel. You can travel all over the world and still drink your Budweiser or your simple California wine, but the fun of traveling is to go to these different places and taste something new and different and interesting. The local wines, I mean, certainly going, as you mentioned, uh, the German wines. Oh, yeah. There are just incredible wines in Europe that no one has ever heard of. Portuguese wines. uh, It's not just port in Portugal. And Spanish wines. My gosh. Now, you're a member of some group in Spain, aren't you, that is quite famous? Well, actually, I was given a Lifetime Achievement Award by the National Festival of Wine in Spain a couple of years ago, which made me feel like a very old person. Um, (laughs) I asked them if I had to die now, and they assured me, no, that I could still keep living. But yeah, the Feria Nacional del Vino. Spain has wonderful wine regions. In America, we've heard of Sherry. We've probably heard of Cava, the great sparkling wine out of Barcelona. And we've probably heard of Rioja, but there are so many other regions. Near Rioja is Navarra, which makes wonderful wines. There's some beautiful white wines from Drueda. Every region in Spain is making something interesting. And you could easily spend a month just traveling around Spain, checking out the different wine regions, eating the local foods. That, to me, is the fun of travel. Oh, totally. And when you get to Catalonia and Barcelona and yep. and at the other end, the Basque country around San Sebastian. And, what and, amazing oh, food. Well, it's the food, but it's also the local wine. And I want yeah. to ask you an observation that I've just sort of formulated as an amateur over the years is that in Europe, if you're eating in a fairly good restaurant, buying the house wine not only saves you money, but the restaurant seems inordinately proud of their house wine. It's not like some kind of thing that's coming out of a box. Here's the real difference, Paul, and it's, it's a difference in the market. In America, we sell wines primarily by brand, and the big national brands, and no disrespect, these are good wines, but the big national brands tend to be able to achieve the biggest economies of scale. So if you're getting an inexpensive wine, you're probably getting it from somebody who makes, let's say, a million cases of a perfectly good, perfectly decent wine, but it's not going to have any local interest or connections or peculiarities. Nobody in Europe has that kind of huge national brand. So the local restaurants have a tendency, instead of turning to somebody half a continent away and saying, send me 10 cases of your cheapest wine, they look right around in their local neighborhood and they say, is it Pedro? Is it Francois? Is it Hans? (laughs) Who makes a pretty 
good, decent wine for not very much money. Let's use his for the house wine. And you're absolutely right. It's a great way to explore. It truly is. And I'm not sure that I've ever had a bad house wine. I mean, uh, they vary perhaps in style and technique and a lot of things, but you're also feeling, and you mentioned this earlier, this sense of place, that wine as a way to travel echoes that sense of place better than anything else. That's right. In fact, the Italians say that their best cultural ambassador in the world, and remember, these are the people who make Ferraris and Lamborghinis and Prada and Fendi and all the rest. They say their greatest cultural ambassador is wine because it is what best captures the complete diversity of Italy, which, of course, we make grapes in California. We make from about 60 different grapes. We make wine out of those. The French use about 200. The Italians use somewhere between 4,000 and 6,000 different grapes to make wine. I mean, is it that is, right? Yeah. Every little town in Italy has its own story, its own grape, its own wine, and, and yeah, that's the fun of it. Totally. Well, and that's another reason that we've tied travel to wine here at uh, Traveling, because it is a great—who needs an excuse to travel? But if you need an excuse to travel, maybe in a different way, to learn yep. things in a different way, uh, plotting your own wine tour is not a bad idea. You mentioned that these wine areas, even in the United States, are amazing ways to taste some great wine. I would think that almost every state tourism office has some kind of wine tour, because I think you're right, Paul, every state is growing wine. I hope they do, and the numbers sometimes astonish people, but there are hundreds of wineries in Texas, hundreds of wineries in Missouri, over a hundred wineries in Illinois and in Iowa. It's not just one or two crazy people trying to do this. This is a real movement. There are wineries all over the country. And I hope the local tourism board is doing it because to me, wine is the most intimate expression of human culture. You can look at a painting, you can listen to music, you can walk through a museum, but the only stuff that actually goes into your body and becomes part of you is the food and wine. And that to me is the most intimate understanding of a culture. And I think that I know there are people who just drink wine, but for me, food and wine have always gone together. And of course, there were, you know, I've been to some great dinners with chefs pairing wines with their food. But it really does seem to me that wine and food are almost made for each other, especially in the older cultures. I came across a book that said that in Tudor England, no one drank water. They all had, basically, they drank beer. <laughs> so well, they had to because up until Louis Pasteur in the 1840s, if you drank water anywhere in Western Europe, you were pretty much committing suicide. You'd better <laughs> drink wine or beer because it was the only thing that was safe to drink. Think of it. Whole countries living life with a buzz. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Your perfect example of this Ama cruise is we were in Strasbourg, which is one of the fabulous cities in Europe. And my wife is a chef. We went out for choucroute, which is their classic oh, dish there with the sauerkraut and the pork five different ways and all the rest. And we asked the waiter to recommend a wine, and he said, well, do you want the Sylvaner or the Riesling? And we said, yes. So she got (laughs) one, and I got the other. And we ate until we almost couldn't move. And then the good news was it was so convenient to get back to that ship. We didn't have to worry about a thing, and then we slept most of the rest of the 24 hours. (laughs) (laughs) You know, isn't that life? That's the way life should be. I have to tell you. (laughs) The only thing you have to decide is whether you want Sylvaner 
Or Riesling. Or Riesling. That's right. <laughs> oh, my heaven, what a life. Well, but that's true. And that's the genius of river cruising, too, because you do get up close and personal with your destinations and an opportunity to do this. And the people on Nama are so knowledgeable, they can recommend places to go have Chakrut in Strasbourg. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Well, do you have your, now you're located in the Napa Valley. The wine industry is very seasonal, and people always talk about, oh, I want to go during harvest, but actually going right now in mustard season must be a great experience, but also it, you get a chance to be there without the crowds, and I'm guessing that that's a very, very good thing when it comes to visiting the tasting rooms. Well, you're a pro, I can tell, because that's absolutely the secret to visiting the Napa Valley is to come February, March. The crowds are down. This year, of course, we've had a couple of big rainstorms, but we've also had since Christmas, we have had three huge rainstorms, but we've also had about five weeks of brilliant, beautiful, sunny weather, and there just aren't nearly the numbers of people. Hotel rooms are less expensive. Restaurants often have what they call the sort of local special, which is the down-season special at a lower price. You can get into tasting rooms. You can talk to people who wouldn't be available. It's, it is absolutely the time to visit. It truly is, and of course, as always, we always caution, have a designated driver. This is just not worth it otherwise. See, I'm a huge believer in another practice, which is I actually believe in spitting. Now, really? I'm a pro. I was trained to do this. But when I go wine tasting, I don't swallow wine because, as you say, if you visit, by the time you're on your second winery, I'm sorry. There's no <laughs> way that you should be driving again. So I taste, I rinse, I spit, I move on to the next wine. I'm looking for the flavor, but I can't drink a half a bottle and for lunch and then feel good about going anywhere after that. No, you have to be in training to do that. And preferably, you should be French. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Paul, that is great advice. And I've been to wine tastings and wine dinners where spitting is perfectly acceptable. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Paul Wagner is a delight. And Paul, we're going to have to have you back and talk about wine and travel and a lot of good things here on traveling. You certainly qualify as a return guest. Excellent. Thanks so much for having me. Paul Wagner has one of the best blogs on wine we've ever seen, throughthebunghole.com. And just get on there and noodle around. You'll have a ball. And check out Ama Waterways because they have a huge program of wine tours. And Paul will be on one of them next year for sure. Paul, thank you so much for joining us here on Traveling. My pleasure, Paul. And you have been traveling with Paul Leslie and Elizabeth Harriman right here on the American Forces Radio Network and at ontravel.com. I'm Paul Leslie. As always, travel safe.